The world's been waiting for it, and at long last, it's here. The first vaccine for COVID-19. This is the Yukon Health Pulse, a podcast to help you get to know Yukon Health and its people a little better, and hopefully leave you with some health information you'll find useful too. With Carolyn Pennington, I'm Chris DeFrancesco. We finally have a vaccine that may help us get the upper hand on the COVID-19 pandemic. And Yukon Health is one of a select few sites designated by the state to start administering it. Here to tell us more about this, Dr. David Bannock, infectious diseases physician and Yukon Health's hospital epidemiologist, and Dr. Kim Metcalf, Yukon Health's AVP of pharmacy and ancillary services and primary vaccine coordinator. Thank you both for taking time to join us today. We know you're very busy. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Um, so, David, we've been waiting for what seems like a very long time for this vaccine. Um, how does this change the game from now on with this pandemic? So, you know, I think this is a huge game changer. You know, we've been uh, battling this pandemic now for almost a year and uh, it's taken just an incredible toll on our community, our state, our country, and the world. Um, you know, and I think when uh, we look at the tools that we have to prevent a further spread of the infection, to really defend ourselves against infection, you know, we have our preventive measures, but this is really the first um, really critical vaccine effort to provide some element of immunity to people, which will really help prevent uh, people from becoming infected. We're going to have a lot of questions for you, Dr. Bannock, as far as how this is all going to work, but also important to how it's going to work. Dr. Metcalf, how is this going to work? First of all, uh, how did UConn Health become among the institutions chosen to have this very important role in the future of what we do and how we deal with this? Yeah, Chris. So, you know, UConn Health, as you know, is an academic medical teaching facility. Um, we have a large uh, footprint of research here um, on our campus. And as you know, these vaccines are coming to us in a ultra cold, um, special temperature state. And with that, you know, oftentimes um, organizations may not have that kind of equipment on hand. Because we have such a large footprint in research, that type of equipment is very common to us. Um, it's within our nature. We, we are used to that kind of variability with stability of our research um, platforms. So it was pretty easy for us to mobilize the right equipment, um, stand it up, um, respond back, and um, and inform the state that we're ready to receive large amounts of, of vaccine to uh, to facilitate vaccinating um, our healthcare workforce as well as the community. Excellent. Now, um, Dr. Bannock, this is going to be most effective if people actually roll up their sleeves and take it. Talk a little bit about why that is so important. Starting with the people who are going first, the healthcare professionals. So absolutely. I mean, the critical part of vaccine uh, deployment is vaccine uptake. And we know that um, you know our healthcare workforce is um, essential in providing care to patients with COVID, but also all of our patients uh, that come in. And keeping the workforce healthy and protected from COVID is going to be allow us to preserve um, all of our critical healthcare workforce um, to be able to provide that level of care. So, you know, I think um, you know, we have the opportunity here as healthcare professionals to lead the vaccine effort. Um, but it's really in the interest of the public to be able to uh, to encourage all of our um, healthcare workers to uh, to take the vaccine to protect themselves, but also to be able to provide care for those who need it. But of course, there have been so many questions about the safety because it was 
push through very quickly, much more quickly than most uh, drugs or vaccines. So what can you say to the people who do have questions about the vaccine? How, how safe is it really? So, I mean, I think the speed at which this vaccine um, went to this point in the FDA um, authorization process um, is, is incredible. But you know, I think it's important for people to know that that speed really focused on um, specific phases of this whole process. So really, it was in the early research and development phase and the manufacturing phase, which occurred nearly simultaneously, uh, or at least in very close proximity. The part that wasn't sped up was the phase three clinical trial. So that clinical trial that was performed um, was incredibly robust, had a very large uh, sample size, and over 40,000 individuals um, who have been uh, been in this uh, randomized uh, placebo-controlled trial. And the data from it is incredibly impressive, both in terms of the efficacy and uh, the infrequency of uh, side effects. And what about the people that apparently, if you've got allergies, I guess in, with the United Kingdom, some people are having reactions if they have allergies. So there, there were a couple of cases um, that were identified in the United Kingdom where of individuals who uh, developed allergic reactions after the vaccine. It, it should be noted that those individuals, um, and I believe there were a couple of, uh, of, uh, of individuals who had that reaction, had, had what seems like a predisposition to develop an allergic reaction. They've had allergies in the past. At least that, that's what's been reported. You know, I think I anticipate we'll learn more about this. But uh, you know, I think it's really important to think that uh, even though we did see uh, a couple of individuals who had allergic reactions, that is very common um, in, in terms of any medication that we administer, any um, vaccine that we administer. You know, there may be some uh, need to uh, give a little extra attention uh, to individuals who have had severe allergies in the past, like anaphylactic type allergies. Uh, but you know, I, I think that um, it's important to look at that in the big picture and realize that this is um, a pretty infrequent occurrence. Um, and um, it's also important to know that if that ever were to occur, at least here in Yukon Health, we have all the measures in place to be able to address that immediately. Um, and, and there's an observation period um, that's required after receiving the vaccine. Oh, uh, there is. I was wondering about that. So you'll have them sit, you know, to the side. Yeah, Kim, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so our vaccine stations have a observation location that folks who have just been immunized will uh, stay there for 10 to 15 minutes and be observed if they have any type of anaphylactic type reactions. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the immediate hypersensitivity is the hypersensitivity reaction is really, um, you know, the thing that we'd, we'd want to monitor for. Um, and uh, it sounds like from what's been described that that was the circumstance um, with uh, the individuals in England. Um, again, you know, I, I think we'll hear a little bit more about those, uh, but, uh, you know, we do have the, the system in place to monitor for those immediate reactions. Dr. David Bannock, UConn Health and Infectious Diseases Physician and Hospital Epidemiologist. I'll have some more questions for you about dispelling myths in a minute. Dr. Kim Metcalf, you're serving as our primary vaccine coordinator for the UConn Health COVID-19 vaccine effort. Um, let's talk about the big picture, kind of the rollout. Right now we're doing frontline healthcare employees, or all healthcare professionals are going first, and then kind of where do we go from there? Correct. We're, right now we are looking at all direct and indirect healthcare workers, both at UConn Health as well as in the community. And our community catchment area assigned to UConn Health is Farmington, Canton, and Avon. After that, we'll be moving on to the next phase, and we, we expect UConn to be very much um, engaged in those next phases, which include um, individuals like our critical workforce in the state. These are individuals that keep our grocery stores open. These are individuals that serve the, the general public in many ways. 
Um, so we'll be moving on to that, as well as our high-risk patient population. Um, we'll be moving into that phase as well. And UConn Health will, will be a leader um, in vaccinating in the subsequent phases, uh, and we will have our vaccination stations remaining live and available for, for the general community to be able to receive the vaccine. Do you anticipate, because you do need a booster shot, right, what, 21 days later, do you anticipate any problems with getting people to come back in and get that booster shot? Yeah, we do. We do. We, you know, not, we, we, we do our best to plan, um, but we know things do happen and folks may not make their, their next appointment, but we do have a vaccine uh, call center, which will be following up on any missed appointments to reschedule folks to come back and get their booster. It's important to finish idea. the full regimen so that they can achieve the highest uh, efficacy that the vaccine can offer. And it has to be the same vaccine, right? If you got a Pfizer vaccine, you can't get a Moderna next time, right? Excellent, excellent um, question, Carolyn. Yes, it has to be the same manufacturer. So if you did receive a Pfizer vaccine, your first dose, your second dose must be a Pfizer vaccine. All right, Dr. Bannock, what do we know so far about this vaccine that maybe might convince a few people who might be a little hesitant, you know what, it's okay to do. Like we already talked about, wow, they really rushed this through. Well, they only rushed through the, the production part of it. They didn't rush through the science part of it, which is, I think, assuring. Yeah, and I think that's the most critical um, way to think about it. So the phase three clinical trial uh, showed us a lot. It showed us that the efficacy of the vaccine of 95% in preventing um, COVID-19 infection, you know, is really remarkable. You know, I think when we look at other types of vaccines, you know, we, we don't see that level of efficacy for many vaccines. You know, I think what it also showed us is that um, the, uh, the rate of side effects um, would be really quite similar to what we see with other vaccines, like flu vaccines. You know, there, there were a sizable folks, a uh, number of um, folks in the trial that developed some localized uh, skin uh, discomfort at the injection site, uh, but that's pretty standard for many vaccines. Um, additionally, there was a small percentage that developed some fatigue, um, maybe even some low-grade fevers, um, but really uh, nothing that would be too out of the ordinary for uh, a vaccine. So, and, and I think, um, you know, that uh, data really helps provide some assurance that the vaccine, um, it can be effective and uh, the side effects are what we would have anticipated. And you kind of want a little bit of side effects, right? Because that shows that it's doing its job. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I think the way we think about side effects, um, they, they can be um, something that we would want to happen. Um, you know, these um, vaccines uh, generate a very robust immune system, which is exactly what we want to provide that protection. And sometimes as part of generating that immune response, um, people do feel fatigued. People do feel some low-grade fever, um, but that can be okay. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, it's important to think about um, the bigger picture and, uh, you know, really understand what these vaccines are doing and what might be a totally reasonably acceptable um, effect to have afterwards. So if you've already had COVID and recovered, you do not need to get this vaccine. So um, actually, that's a common question that we get. Um, and uh, the current recommendations are likely to support getting the vaccine, even if you've already had COVID. Um, oh, you know, really? what we know is that um, the uh, immune response um, for, uh, from uh, a COVID infection um, will uh, give some immunity. We don't know how long that lasts for. Looks like um, from what we're seeing, it lasts for at least 90 days. But, uh, you know, I think the vaccine would provide uh, sort of additional support to uh, build a more robust immune response afterwards. You know, I think what we what we do know is that uh, the, the individuals that have had um, COVID uh, recently, say in the last like three months or so, 
even though they would um, still be recommended to get the vaccine, they wouldn't be sort of at the top of the list because we know that they'll have some element of at least uh, short-term immunity from their infection. And we want to reiterate, and this is a challenge we face with other vaccines like influenza, getting the shot is not going to give you COVID-19. Right, that's critical. So, um, you know, these vaccines do not have any live virus. They can't actually cause a COVID-19 infection. Um, and that's really, that's, that's very important to know. Uh, you know, there are some other vaccines out there that are live virus vaccines, things like the measles vaccine, uh, but this is not that at all. So there is no live virus contained in this vaccine. So if you do get symptom, it is not because uh, you were infected with COVID-19. And do you anticipate that this is going to be like the flu vaccine in years to come, that you're just going to have to get this COVID vaccine every year? It's, it's hard to say at this point um, because we don't know uh, how long the immunity will last. We don't know if this will be something that is every year. I yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's going to be um, one of the most critical um, pieces of data that needs to be collected moving forward. You know, those individuals who are vaccinated, you know, there's going to be ongoing data collection on whether or not they have antibodies that remain high um, for the months maybe even years after getting the vaccine. Um, but they'll also be followed um, in the clinical trials to see if they do develop COVID infections, say, a year after they receive the vaccine. And that helps give an understanding as to how uh, durable the protection is over time. So when can we stop wearing masks? <laughs> so, so, so that's a great question. Probably uh, one of the questions that it's at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, you know, I think um, the only answer I can say is not yet. So. Uh, you know, I think the vaccine is, is such a critical um, part of being able to uh, turn around the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, I think there's still a lot that uh, we need to be thinking about when we're looking at scaling back our um, preventive measures like wearing masks. So first, we'd have to think that we want a very large proportion of the community to be vaccinated um, and be have some immunity to COVID-19. That's really important. You know, the other piece, critical piece of information that we need to learn is after a vaccine, you know, what is there any virus that can still linger, um, say, in the nose um, over time that may potentially be infectious? Uh, but I think the, the biggest piece is ensuring that um, we get uh, enough immunity in the community uh, to feel confident that uh, we can start scaling back some of these measures. And so in the short term, uh, we'll continue to wear masks. We'll continue to uh, emphasize all the other prevention measures like uh, social distancing, avoiding gathering, and um, you know, hand washing um, in at least the uh, near-term future. Dr. Kim Metcalf, the primary vaccine coordinator for UConn Health, and Dr. David Bannock, UConn Health's hospital epidemiologist. Before we say goodbye, and, and again, thank you for joining us, one final appeal to the importance of getting vaccinated with COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think one of the key um, key perspectives is that, you know, as healthcare workers, we're offered this incredible opportunity to be leaders in the vaccine effort. You know, the, we can sort of demonstrate our commitment to turning around the pandemic um, by doing this. And we lead the what and the rest of the community is going to be watching, you know, what happens with healthcare workers um, in terms of their acceptance of the vaccine. So I think I think there's a, a critical piece there that um, of leadership within our healthcare communities um, in uh, in terms of impacting the public health and vaccine uptake. And that's our time for today. For Drs. David Bannock and Kim Metcalf and Carolyn Pennington, I'm Chris DeFrancisco. Thank you for listening to the Yukon Health Pulse. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch us next time. And please share with a friend.